Welcome to the Motherhood Village podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Gonzalez Cumberbatch, and I know firsthand that it takes a village to raise a child, but most importantly, that it takes a village to uplift a mother. A mother's village is necessary and can take up many forms. Consider this podcast as part of your motherhood village. No matter the season of motherhood you're in, every conversation will give you more tools to add to your parenting toolbox, and you'll feel supported, inspired, and uplifted. So let's get into an informative and empowering conversation. Welcome to the Motherhood Village podcast. My name is Nicole Cumberbatch, and I'm on with a very special guest. I have Adam Schwartz. Adam is the proud father of two boys, and over the course of his career, he has accomplished and achieved many things, both personally and professionally, but his number one achievement is building his two boys into superstars. After graduating from the University of Florida, Adam became a financial advisor. His career continued on an upward trajectory until his last position in the financial sector as a private client advisor with J.P. Morgan. There, he handled the investments for some of the most affluent and influential people in South Florida. However, none of it mattered to him nearly as much as being the father of his two boys and raising respectful, polite, appreciative, and kind children. Five years ago, he lost his mother, then two years later, his father. He got divorced a month later, and then the following month, COVID began. His children gave him the strength to get up and smile each day. And amidst all of these losses, Adam started assessing his life and where he belonged. He knew he wanted to help people and has been on a path ever since. Adam, it is a pleasure to have you on. How are you today? I'm fantastic. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Great. Um, So before we dive into that and our main conversation, let's go into my icebreaker round. What is a favorite book of yours or one that you would really like to recommend? So uh, when my older one was younger, um, we did a lot of exploring because he's super, super bright. Actually, they both are, but we didn't know about the second one yet. Um, And I found out, I learned about a book called uh, Seven Types of Smart or Seven Kinds of Smart. But um, it's really interesting because it talks about all the different types of intelligence. Um, Because conventionally, you know, we think if you do well in math or English or whatever, then you're smart. But we, we forget that if you're brilliant in music or in art, or it's another form of brilliance. And so um, I loved reading that. I thought it was great. Great. And how has fatherhood transformed you? Wow. Um, I know that's a tough one. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a long one. Because um, yes. the thing is that, you know, when you're growing up, you're just the kid. So you go to your parents for everything, and then you go to school, and you kind of start to become more independent. You get your job, you do whatever but you can still have a little bit of that immaturity or selfishness or whatever it is uh, that comes before you have to care for another human being. Um, The selflessness uh, that goes into being a good parent, uh, because not all parents are selfless and they don't get it totally necessarily, Um, but the selflessness and the constantly thinking about everything you do and say And not in a bad way, only in a good way, because if you hear it from their ears, if you can kind of uh, empathize, then you know what it feels like for them, what builds them up, what makes them worry, what makes them think, you know? So um, being on top of every word, every action, every reaction, um, and that pure selflessness. Oh, God, I... Yes. And I think I'm in that season of motherhood. I, I'm a new mom. My little guy is just five. Um, five feels like I've, I've been his parent for 15 years, just right. because of the amount to your point. I think it's true when you really want to be a good parent, 
it takes a lot out of you to really be purposeful, to really be mindful, to really be intentional and to understand that truthfully, every action you do from going to bed late and waking up late and having him be disappointed reflects that. I think is something that's really resonating with me even more so now as my son gets older and me realizing he needs me in other ways that he did it. So I'm in that. So I completely resonate with everything you just said. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when they ask you a question, even just the way that you answer, because if you answer, if you're super busy doing whatever and you answer impatiently, then which you might to a friend and that's no big deal or to, you know, a colleague or, you know, whatever sibling. But with a child, if you answer and you sound impatient because you're busy, they might be reluctant to ask more questions. And that's the last thing you want. Asking questions helps them grow, helps them learn, helps them feel safe. And I want to always be the safe place, you know, so. I agree. I agree. Yeah, my son called me out on it the other day. I I think my face did something and he was like, (laughs) what is that for? What did I do? And I was like, oh, snap. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So I'm I'm with you, you know, who has who and what has been a part of your village? And I say what, because I think we always tend to think it's people, but I feel like it's everything that we use as possible resources. So who and what has been instrumental? um, And talk about the ages of your boys too afterwards. Um, But yeah, who, who, who has been instrumental and what has been instrumental to you as a father in your village? Yeah, so that it takes a village. I mean, it is, it's never been proven more uh, accurately or, or definitively than with me with both my boys. Um, my little one just turned seven on New Year's Eve. Um, and my older one will be 17 in five days from now. So the birthdays are very close. Oh, wow. You have a teenager. Yeah, out. yeah, yeah, yeah. 10 year difference. It's a, it's a, it's a big difference. But it's a big difference in a bunch of ways. So not only, obviously, is raising a 17-year-old and a 7-year-old drastically different. When I had my older one, uh, you know, as he was growing up, uh, his mother and I were together. Both my parents were alive and well. Both her parents were alive and well. My brother lived close by. Um, We had a bunch of friends that had gone to school with him that had children that were the same age. So we had the definition of a village Um, and all grandparents lived within five minutes of us. We're happy to babysit or take, I mean, buy gifts, do like everything. Fast forward 10 years. And as you had said, you'd said before, I lost my mom, lost my dad, got divorced. And the other set of parents, one was, one had passed also and one lives in Argentina and speaks zero English. So in terms of assistance, there's zero grandparents. Uh, My brother is 10 years older and is really busy with work. His life has kind of evolved, so I don't get a lot there. Um, So I'm almost a village of one uh, right now. And that is, that's not easy. when you talk about who who or what helps, my older one is tremendous. Um, so uh, he gives me a little bit of uh, relief. He gives me a partner in crime to you know to look at and smile at and um, and go through it with. But um, but yeah, it, it does take a village. <laughs> It does. And I know we'll tap into all of the, I guess, the juxtaposition of all of that, because that is a lot to go from 17 to 
being a parent now of a seven-year-old in a completely different time period, right? Even of what's going on in the world, there's a lot there. Um, But I want to take it a step back. So why is it so important collectively for you to really raise respectful, kind, and appreciative children, specifically young men? Um, I'm also raising a son, and I feel like there's just a heightened level of the type of man I want to help raise. Um, And I talk about this with my husband often. He kind of believes in the aspect of, you know, he'll just kind of emulate what he sees. And I do agree with 100%. I mean, kids don't do as we say, they do as we do. However, I just think that to your point, as they're asking questions, it's also, it's just important for me to really focus on certain things, especially because I know men tend to, hold things close to heart. They don't express themselves as much. So tell me why was it so, um, or why is it still important to raise those kind of young men? Yeah. Um, it's funny. I don't fit a lot of stereotypes. So, uh, so those things about men not being expressive and whatever, uh, that's not the case in my house. And I think that that has actually gone a, a long way in making them more polite, respectful, gentlemanly, uh, things like that, because they don't have that um, macho, silent, you know, type uh, kind of um, Like you can't cry, they can't do anything, or they can't, yeah. Yeah, it's nothing like that here. Um, To go back to kind of your original question, um, when I was little, I was always... I was always the most polite boy. Like, I just... I mean, my mom would, like, laugh at me because we'd be walking into a store... And I'd get stuck holding the door open for like five people. She'd still be walking and she'd be like, where's my son? And she, and she would joke that I was the one that was back holding the door for everyone. My brother was already far ahead. He didn't even care. He didn't notice. But um, but it always meant a lot to me. And I got a lot of praise for it when I was little. And um, and it felt good. And so uh, that was sort of the the base or the core of it is that it does feel good to be good and to be praised for it. That all being said, you see so much stuff about how men treat women um, and just how men conduct themselves in general. And I don't know that I love the direction that some of us are going in today's world. I mean, I know that there's been a lot of development, a lot of uh, evolution of humanity and you know life and, uh, and all these things. But there are certain core values that I think are traditional and are really a big deal. And being that sort of old school type of gentleman um, is critical. I think that um, I love to see the smile on someone's face when you speak to them respectfully. It just looks different. It feels different. And I want my boys to put smiles on faces. I want them to... Uh, to help make the world better because there are other people that aren't. And if we're going to live together, we need positivity and we need good hearts and, and people that listen and people that care. Um, and I get tr- just, I can't even express how much joy I get from seeing them say, yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Um, you know, asking politely for things, getting a report from the friends or the teachers that, you know, he was at our house and what an angel, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a big deal. I want them to treat everybody the right way. I agree. I think there's something, I know you said the old school 
because you know we say old school and new school and all the things but to your point i think there is something special about having that um i know for me kindness is a big one but i think with kindness comes the respect and comes the appreciation and i think over time i mean again i i only have a five-year-old so i have to be patient with myself and know i just have to be consistent yeah. you know because he'll get the one toy and be like but i wanted this and in my mind i'm like oh gosh that's so ungrateful but i have to remind myself he's still learning and it's going to take time but i also have to emulate and continue to have those conversations and let him know that not everyone has what he has and, and things of that. Yeah. Um, so although it is quote unquote, maybe old school with some of those values, I think there's still so much, if not more important now, especially the kindness factor. Yeah. Because we just see so more and more of, of not understanding of what people are going through and the mental health aspect, which I know we're also going to touch upon. Yeah. Um, so that's great that your sons are, not only hearing it from you, but it also sounds like that they're be able to watch it from you because it's something of who you are to your core, which I think is extremely important. Yeah, no, for sure. Because, um, because it was really sweet. The, it was probably maybe a few weeks ago. Uh, my little one says to me, he looks at me after I had just had some sort of interaction in a restaurant or store or something. And he goes, daddy, I love the way that you speak to people. And so I say it, and I show it and I stress how really critical it is um, and why, you know, I don't, I'm never somebody that just teaches my boys like, do this, and like, why? Well, because I said so, like, I don't do I said so, I, they need to know why, you know? And that, that version of old school parenting, you can throw out the window that like, do what you're told. No, I wanna raise my boys to understand stuff. I, I, I want them to ask questions I want to give them answers. I want them to feel whole and complete and positive, you know, so. I love that. What are the most impactful gifts that you hope to give or believe that you are currently giving to your child and children? And I'll say a part two of that to, to say, is it different from the 17-year-old and the seven-year-old? I only have the one, but I was raised in a household with my sibling, my sister, and I've heard time and time again, oh, you and your sister are so different. And it's like mm -hmm. night and day and all the things. And in my mind, I'm like, we're supposed to be. We're two different human beings. Yeah, yeah. So it's a two-part question, you know, in that sense of, is it different for your 17 and seven-year-old of just what you want to impart on, on them? Yeah. So uh, the first part is uh, is the things that are that are the same with both of them, and that is the um, the gift, as you were saying, um, really to um, to be able to to know how to treat people, um, how to because the truth is that that's how you get things in life. Also, it's not about manipulating situations or people or whatever. You can genuinely get the things that you want in life just by being kind. I mean, just by knowing what, listening to people, knowing what they need, what they want, offering something in exchange, or even just out of kindness. I mean, they're just, the things that I really try and build into them. And I guess, like, as you said, like sort of what I'm giving them, the biggest thing is their ability to function at a high level once I'm gone. Um, so, because I know that I won't be here forever. Um, and if all things go as planned, they'll be here for many years after me. Um, and so it's important that when they don't hear my voice, like, you know, audibly, that they hear it here. Um, and that they know, you know, this is how they should, how should, you know, how they should behave, how they should act. 
Um, so I would say that's probably, oh, and also the safety. Um, I think that's probably, if I can put something at number one, that might even be number one. Um, I know that my boys know with absolute certainty, it doesn't matter what they need, what the situation is, um, I will be there for them. I'll fix it, I'll make it happen, I'll make it go away. Whatever is necessary, I'll handle it. And they're always safe. All they gotta do is tell me, dad, I need this, or dad, this happened. And they know they have a resource that is infinite. Um, so that might be the very, very top. Um, about the, you know, the differences between the two. Yeah, um, so there's definitely differences. Uh, those two sort of core values that I shared with you, those are, those are pretty universal with both of them for sure. Um, but it looks different with the 17 year old than with the seven year old. So, you know, teaching them how to do life without me, you know, turning, just turning seven, it's say please and thank you. And, you know, yes, ma'am. And yes, sir. And now the 17 year old, he's going to be applying to colleges. He has a girlfriend, he has a car. Um, I mean, the things that once they get to that kind of teen zone, the things that you've got to be good at and and think of and uh, and teach them, it just radically changes. And um, and I eat all of it up. I mean, when you said earlier, you said you know it takes a lot out of you and it's hard. It does theoretically, I guess. I mean, mathematically, like you have less time and you have you know, but I don't even feel it. I just it just feels so. Uh, natural and normal to uh, to be, uh, you know, building them into the the gentleman. Like I said, I mean, whether it's teaching my older one that when you're driving, you don't just look straight ahead, or just in your mirror, but you're looking at who's what the stoplights over there, who's there, is yours turning yellow soon in the mirror, who's the guy behind the guy behind you. I mean there's so many things to think about to keep them safe and keep them and build them strong. It, it does change for sure. I'm sure. So we're going to pivot a little bit. And um, now I know I started in the bio of saying, um, and you also mentioned, you know, there's been a lot of loss that particularly, I guess, really affected, I would imagine more so your 17 year old in the sense of having it and then having it be taken away, right? Of really understanding that where your seven year old might understand it and might've had that. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's a little different. Um, how has that affected your parenting and what have you specifically learned during this time? Um, I know for me, I've experienced a lot of grief and loss it's interesting through um, a certain time of my life of close family members, cousins, aunts, um, my grandparents, but it was like back to back to back. Um, and unfortunately they had died um, deaths that, you know, they had to suffer for. Yeah. And I know that was impactful for me. So tell me about that, you know, of losing your parents, but you're also in a parenting stage and then getting a divorce, which is a different type of grieving and loss, right. That I don't think we talk enough about. Um, so if you would maybe, um, explain about how that has affected you and how did that affect your parenting? Yeah. So, uh, as the village depleted, um, it definitely changed things because it is, it is an easier job as a parent when you get days off, you know, like, um, yes. 
And so, you know, most of us work a five day week and we get the weekend off. Um, when you have grandparents, you know, down the street asking for time with their grandchildren and things like that, it definitely takes a lot of that pressure and that weight off of you. Sure. Um, and so, yeah, that's been, it's been significantly harder and, uh, you know, just to do it all by myself. Um, so yeah, patience is something that I have always had, but it is more of a challenge now, uh, because there's very little downtime, very little rest. Um, I also, um, I had to explain a little bit, a little bit more to the little one than the older one about loss and grief and things of that nature. Um, the older one, he's got a lot of feelings, but he's not super expressive. He does fall into that sort of older stereotype of men when it talks, when we talk about expressing emotions and stuff. Uh, the little one is very expressive uh, and really just shares all of his emotions with everyone. Um, it's really adorable. He the way he uh, he speaks about his feelings and thoughts, like it's almost like he's 15 or, or whatever. Um, and so uh, so that's been interesting because he asks a lot of questions and you want to answer and you want to answer in a truthful way. But at the same time, you don't want him to be concerned about what else might happen. Correct. So, I mean, I've treaded kind of lightly with regard to you know, you had asked about grief and what do you teach them and things like that. So he's aware, obviously, that three of his grandparents have passed. And when we talk about age, they were too young. So, uh, so I'm very careful about how I talk about it. And I try and give him an, a truthful answer and then kind of move past because I don't want him worrying and wondering about me, you know, because... Uh, I'm 50, and 50 is not 40, nor is it 30. Um, and so, yeah, I'm always trying to be truthful, but delicate. So I, I did a three-part series, which, I mean, if you'd love to check out, you can. And part three, uh, with the grief and support, um, they're grief support specialists, um, advocates, and part three was basically how to talk about grief and loss with your, your child. Um, and I had told them, you know, my son had already asked about death and faith is really important to us. So we had mentioned kind of heaven, but then now everything, my husband, my son is like, but then we can't bring this to heaven. And well, what does heaven look like? I want to see heaven. And that opened up a whole new door. So I had asked, like, how do you incorporate faith? You know, and she was like, look, you just have to remember the younger that they are with it. Um, you have to like be as like just like specific with not being specific and just as they're not here anymore. Um, you know, we can't, it's, it's, it's just difficult. Like even saying it, you yeah, know, yeah. Um, because they're so realistic and then the questions come and you don't want to add the anxiety to them. And well, well then what would happen to you? I mean, my son has asked, he's like, well, what happens if you and daddy go and who takes care of me? And I'm like, geez, Louise, we're having this conversation now. Right. Um, and then you don't want to promise, well, mommy and daddy's going to be here forever because truthfully, 
no one knows what's going to happen. Yeah. So it's a, it's a very, it's a lot. It's, it's heavy. Right. They do give some just really good tips that even me, she was like, you know, don't say pass away. Don't say he died in his sleep because then they'll never want to sleep and pass away. What does that mean? She's like, you know, they died. They're not going to be returning. And she's like, and truthfully, it's okay to say, you know what? I don't have all the answers right now. Right. I am figuring it out as much as, as we are. If it's impacted you with parenting, what have they taught you? Because you're grieving all of this, but then still having to be a parent, right? Yeah, yeah. You're still in the emotions, and then you still have to be there for them. Um, What have you learned specifically about grief and loss? Um, And how have they helped you kind of continue on through your own experience with it? Yeah. Um, So their smiles and their love uh, can transform any negative anything that I'm feeling. So... Um, you're right. I mean, I was really, really close with my parents and especially my mom. Um, mm-hmm. and my dad needed a lot of care toward the end, um, because my mom was gone and he had Alzheimer's. So, um, I that's took, tough. Yeah. So I took, uh, you know, a lot of care of him too. Um, so when I, when I think more about them and I get in a place where I'm sad or I'm, you know, struggling or whatever it is, um, just being around them uh, just makes me smile, makes me feel good. And I also do recognize that um, that self, like uh, selflessly, I don't have time for this right now, you know? And so I will, um, I, I put a smile on, I enjoy my moment with them. And then I'll, you know, I'll take my time later to, uh, to sort of go through it. Um, but they, um, it's taught me how strong I can be. Um, I think somebody, it was a meme or a quote somewhere or something that said something about like, you never know how strong you are until you get pushed, you know, more or something along those lines. Sure. And so I always felt like I was strong, uh, but wow. Um, talk about testing it and, um, you know, I survived it so far. And so, uh, I, you know, it, it gives you a, you want to pat yourself on the back in a sense, just for making it through. Sure. Um, and they've been a tremendous part of that because yeah, just their, their sweetness and their, uh, their smiles and their love has, uh, it's been magical. You're a board member with the mental wellness networking Alliance. And, um, so I'll leave kind of my questions with the mental wellness aspect and the mental health aspect of it. Cause I know all of that plays a part. Um, but you are a single divorced dad. So tell me, how has that journey been for you? What are some of the challenge you ha- challenges you have faced? Um, any misconceptions, anything out there? Because I think a lot of times we, I mean, this is a motherhood podcast, right? And, you know, it is about moms, but there are dads like yourself who are kind of holding down the fort and, and, and doing what you got to do, you know, yeah. um, the super dad. So uh, tell me kind of what has that journey been like for you as something new? Um, and what are you kind of looking forward to maybe I say it's like almost like a part two of it. I have been divorced. I actually married my high school boyfriend. We did not have children and we were married for just a few years. And so I know just even from a few years of being married, but being with someone for a long period, what that entails. So I'm with you there. I can only imagine if I had children and and all of that. So yeah, what has this journey been like for you? And what are you looking forward to in maybe another relationship? Um, Any misconceptions? Talk to me about that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's been, that's been an interesting, uh, road too, because I have my older one half the time 
and I have the little one about 60% of the time. So just from the most basic standpoint, my time is much more restricted than a normal, you know, single sure. guy would be at, at, you know, at my age or my stage of life. So, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so that's, that's the, the first kind of step. So that all being said, um, I do, I have embraced the kind of my schedule, my life, my whatever. Um, when I have either child, except for on every other Saturday, when, uh, the second one's mother's a she's a hairdresser and she works so that's why i have mm -hmm. him more but aside mm -hmm. from those saturdays i have both kids the same time at, they're they're both with me at the same time or they're both you know out of the house at the same time oh, okay so um so the beauty of it is we're all this big happy family you know when we're all together and that's great um and then when they're not there i have the time for myself to either get caught up on the things that i want or date or whatever the case may be sure. So from a scheduling standpoint, it's been uh, a little challenging, um, especially because since I have my schedule with children, anybody that I meet, if they have children, they're going to have another schedule too. Mm -hmm. And that can become almost like winning the lottery where you can get like, you get one, three and seven, but you didn't get the two, 12 and whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, it can be a little tricky from a scheduling standpoint and things like that. Um, also, when I'm looking for somebody, it's a big difference because whoever it is that I meet, if they don't like children, they're out. If they don't get along with my children, they're out. And nobody, I hate to say this, but nobody's gonna not get along with my children because they're angels. Um, <laughs> but whether or not I love watching the way they, re they interact with them, or you know, that's, that's a big deal. Um, sure. If they have children, how do they behave? How do they interact? So there's many more working parts now. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so it's been fun um, and challenging. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I know that the beauty of it is having been married twice and divorced twice, I'm in no rush to be uh, doing that a third time. So uh, I'm meeting people and there's a list like this of all of the things that sure. need to really be in place for me to do that again, because uh, I will not be divorced a third time. Yeah, <laughs> um, I'd rather wait, wait, wait uh, until I find somebody that really um, gets it in the same way that I do. Uh, and someone that I know I can be happy that I'm with every single day. 100%. Yeah, I think um, yeah, children just added a different element to it. And I can only imagine what that is like because now you do have these other two little humans with you that they have to navigate kind of this world with you know um but i'm glad to hear that you know you're you're making it work and still because i think it's it's important because your little one's going to be out too right at some point they're going to have their life you said your oldest is already looking for college how's a girlfriend i mean i'm sure like he's there but he's like got his life he has a car he has yeah, this yeah. thing and your your second one as well when that stage comes so there's going to be a time where adam has to be like okay well what does adam want to do now who does adam want to be with would you have that companion what does that look like um and i think it's important as parents which is why i think that juxtaposition of being a parent but then also not losing ourselves because at some point they are going to leave and it's like well what what am I going to do now? Like, what, what am I passionate about? What do I want to do? Which segues into, I know right now 
and in the bio I had read that um, you really want to kind of make a difference in the world and you're on a um, on a path to wanting to help people, which I think is honorable and admirable. Um, you started your YouTube channel, Being Racist is Stupid. You became a board member of the Mental Wellness Networking Alliance, um, which I've been to one of those groups. It was very, very, very powerful. Um, you're part of the Elder Wisdom Circle, and now you work with seniors um, and directing them to better health care. Why have you become involved with these endeavors and why was it important for you to kind of mesh together with this, especially now at this part of your life? Like, why do you want to be the board member of the Mental Wellness Networking Alliance, you know, starting the YouTube channel? Talk to me about that journey onto this kind of path of rediscovery and and doing, be- you know, doing better and, and um, putting good content out there as well. Yeah, thanks. Um, so uh, after all the tragedies, um, the uh, that's right it was right before the pandemic started so you know now not only had i endured losing my mom my dad getting divorced but now me and both children are locked in this house you know the minute you step outside you've got a mask on you stores are closed restaurants are closed so there was a lot of stress a lot of you know a lot of that and i was a financial advisor so my clients were calling me in the house the market's crashing everyone's in a panic and so I took some uh, Family Medical Leave Act. I took some time just to breathe and reset because uh, I couldn't I couldn't take all of it at that point. So while I was taking that little bit of time off, um, I actually, I was dating somebody at the time and uh, she said that you're really good at what you do. You can do it for the rest of your life and be successful and say, you know, you, would, you, you did a good job and, you know, you accomplished mm-hmm. whatever but I don't think that it's your purpose. And I just think that there's something else out there for you. So I started thinking about it because now I had some time instead of just robotically, you know, wake up, put my suit on, go to work, you know, help people with their investments. Now I had the time to think like you had said it before, like, what does Adam want? What do I, what am I good at? How can I, how can I really find what my purpose is, you know? So mm-hmm. as I started thinking about it, um, I started realizing that the clients that I had, they were terrific people and I was helping them, but they didn't need my help. So without me, they'd still be very wealthy and affluent and happy. They'd be, they'd have their country club and their golf clubs and their friends and their whatever. <laughs> And without me, they would just have the new guy in the Life suit. Go on. <laughs> and if they got one or 2% less on their money, they'd still be okay. So they didn't need me. So I just really started uh, kind of trying to figure out where I, where I could help people because it was important for me after feeling all of that pain mm-hmm. to try and think that I could alleviate pain somehow from others. Mm-hmm. Um, my ex-wife had mentioned that I guess that's one of the best ways to get out of sort of a bad or sad spot is to do good things for others. And it resonated with me. It, it really, it sounded, it made sense. So um, my first sort of venture was I was at home, it was an evening and it was right after George Floyd had been killed in the street. Um, and it really angered me. Um, and. You know, I've always been a person that just loved everybody. I didn't care about race or color or religion or political party. Like, I, 
don't care at all. Just be nice and I'm cool, you know? Um, <laughs> and I, it should, it should be that simple, but it isn't. And so uh, to have seen that same story, just with different names uh, over and over, yeah, it really affected me. So I was just home and I was like, this is stupid. Being racist is so stupid. I just didn't understand it. <laughs> and then when I said it, I just thought it sounded kind of catchy. So I looked to see if it was trademarked. Um, it was not. So I bought the domain and I started ranting about how I thought we could fix things and make things better for people, you know, uh, all around the world and especially in our country. Um, so I put a lot of effort into that. Um, and trying to reach people. I went to uh, the campus at University of Florida where I went to school. Wow. Um, and me, the girl I was dating at the time, uh, my boys with all of our being racist and stupid shirts on, walking yes. around just talking to people, handing out stuff. Um, I did an FAU over here also. And I just wanted to see if people would listen and maybe I could make some impact. Um, and I guess it was more about like a passion project than really a business plan. Um, of course, sure. And so I enjoyed it a lot for like a little while, and then um, it wasn't it wasn't translating into like any kind of full time anything. So I just continued to remain open. Um, and a friend of mine had posted something about the Mental Wellness Networking Alliance, and the, there was a meeting. So I thought, you know what, just something else positive. So. When I went uh, and I met Mayor Scott Brook from uh, Coral Springs, who has become a dear friend, um, I started going to those meetings and they were planning an event and I volunteered to get involved. And I just loved the event planning part of it, the camaraderie, camaraderie with all the other you know, participants, whether board members or, or just members. Um, mm -hmm. It felt good. We were raising funds for a good cause. There were positive people everywhere. Um, and I just wanted to continue uh, being involved. So um, I stayed connected with them. I remain connected with them, uh, you know, go to their meetings and help plan their events. Uh, we have one coming up in February, a jazz brunch. So, yes. um, yeah, so I've loved uh, doing that too. And then I almost just... May, may I step in yeah, and ask, have you used that? Because I want to touch upon the mental aspect of that. I know when I went, and for those of you listening, I also had Mayor Brooke on my podcast. He started this nonprofit organization uh, due to the suicide of his mother when I think he was like 20, when I say 27? 23, maybe? yeah. 23. Yeah. Uh, that was gonna. That was the next number in my mind. 23. Um, so we just had a, a, a really in-depth conversation about that and how that affected him and now the work that he's trying to do. And when I went to that meeting, I mean, that was just powerful. I have never, um, fortunately, taken it to a place where I thought to go that low of hearing people wanting to commit suicide. I have definitely had my low moments in life. So to hear these powerful, powerful stories, I mean, I was crying. I remember like I, I wasn't even able to speak. Yeah. Um, people of all walks of life and hearing different stories and how things affected them. So how has that affected you and your own mental wellness aspect? Mm -hmm. Has it helped you? I know for me, going to therapy has helped even just alleviate certain things that I felt like I needed to kind of get off of my chest. Yeah. So yeah, tell me about that and in working with that alliance and that organization and how has that helped you in your own mental wellness aspect? Yeah, uh, so it has it has been tremendous because 
Uh, my dad had worked for IBM for many, many years, and then he decided that he wanted to go into social work. Um, so he got a bachelor's and a master's in social work. Wow. And uh, while he was working full time at IBM still. And one of his uh, one of his tasks or whatever was to lead group uh, group therapy. And he would always share with me about how powerful and tremendous the experience was for him and for all of the people in the group. So, you know, I stored that in my head. And, you know, many years later, um, when I had met Scott and the NWNA and all of that, um, it isn't group therapy, but it almost feels like it is because you're in a room full of people that, that will really be vulnerable. I mean, yes. they will tell their, um, their deepest, saddest moments of their life yeah. and, um, and feel safe in that space. And it's such a supportive feeling that, that everyone gives. Uh, nobody is distracted. Nobody's talking while somebody's talking. It is genuinely a really Perfect. beautiful, safe place and space for people to share. And so... Um, and Scott leading it and his intro was always about, you know, the, the pain he endured, uh, personally. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when you're the leader up there and you're sharing something so personal, people feel safe opening up and they do. And as you said, the stories that you hear in there, you just, you want to, it's a random stranger. You want to just go hug them. Um, mm -hmm. because that's the environment that he's built there. And yeah. I love it. I love being part of it because I do share about whatever might be on my mind. Um, I talk to people that have shared, you know, uh, their their own tragedies or personal experiences, mm -hmm. and it uh, it is like a little a little bonus positivity, you know, every uh, every month or so when we do those meetings, for sure. Yeah, and I think it also for me it makes you see like really you never know what somebody's going through and someone that may look like they have it all together and the people that did get up there to speak and I was like, wow, sitting across from them never would have guessed that this is what they've thought about, what they've experienced. So I think it also puts things in perspective, I would imagine, right? Yeah, um, Where sure. you're like this, you know. Um, so let's go a little bit back. Talk to me about the Elder Wisdom Circle and how yeah. that, your work with that um, and how that has uplifted you um, and what you do with them. Yeah, so um, because of my experience uh, raising funds and doing things like that for you know for Scott and the NWNA, um, I applied to be on the Elder Wisdom Circle board, and they liked the experience, so they wanted me to be the uh, chair of the fundraising committee. So the Elder Wisdom Circle is uh, it's a website where um, if you are sixty and over, then you're considered one of their elders, um, and People, young people, whether it's uh, you know preteen, teen, mm -hmm. um, even college age, they write in with whatever it is that is um, you know plaguing them, uh, and usually it's something emotional like my parents this, my girlfriend that, like whatever it is. Um, but they're troubled, and they want some sort of wisdom from somebody that's been around you know for years, somebody that's seen life, done life. Um, and can give them a different perspective than just their friends. So I'm quite sure that when you, you know, have some sort of stressful something, you call a friend and whatever, and your friend gives you advice, but that friend might be the same age as you, and they only know as yes. much as you do. And, <laughs> yes. you know, and if you don't have either a close relationship 
for an open, safe relationship with your parents, your grandparents, or whatever it is, you awesome. can really lack that. And so, um, so I have worked with them on a number of different things, trying to get them, you know, more advanced because since it's run by seniors, they're a little behind in terms of, you yes. know, the technology and, and getting their word out and things like that. Um, but yeah, it's just another way to help people that are um, struggling with emotional uh, you know, difficulties. I love it. And then now I know you also pivoted career-wise. Um, so when you're having this moment of, okay, like what does Adam want? What, am, what is going to fulfill me? I've gone through kind of trauma, truthfully, right? Of the, yeah. You've had some heavy years. Now it seems like you're getting back. Um, if you look, there's a correlation of helping people, of mental wellness, of tragedies. It's all kind of there. What made you want to um, work with seniors and direct them to better health with Chen Medical? I think it's Medical Center, Chen Medical yeah. Center. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so yeah, I was looking for something that would tie the experience that I had before um, with my desire to help people. And so, um, and, and also to be able to speak publicly because I'm not afraid to get up in front of people and, you know, whatever, and, and say whatever I got to say, as long as I believe in it, I'm, I'm fearless. Um, and so, uh, when I met the people from Chen Senior Medical Center, um, they explained to me a little bit about how they operate and I loved it. Um, because again, talking about people that really genuinely need help. Um, you know, seniors, they go from doctor to doctor to doctor. They wait for however many hours. They don't, they don't get treated any better than you or me. And they need to be because they're not as fast or they're not as, you know, set or whatever it is. Um, so again, these people that haven't been catered to so much um, at Chen, they're treated like, like VIPs. Um, so it really, when I meet, you know, a, a senior and I'm sharing with them about what we do, the smile on their face is tremendous because, you know, they might've just come from their doctor. They were, they had a 10 o'clock appointment. They saw them at 12, you know, the doctor was in and out in 60 seconds. Then they had to wait a half hour for their prescription and they had to go fill it somewhere. Then they had to go get sent somewhere for blood work. And, and these are people that their whole day is just going from one doctor to another, to another. And with Chen, it's so different. You get your doctor's cell phone number. They have uh, x-rays on site, EKGs on site, echocardiograms on site. There's a lab that they draw the blood and do whatever on site. There's a medication room that they provide medications before you walk out the door. If you need transportation there and back, they provide that. I mean, we've got snacks, we do events. So, um, and that's been my primary focus is, you know, doing events to spread the word, to meet new people uh, and then bring them to, uh, to our center because they, they're not treated properly and that's what we do. So, um, so I'm really proud of that's that. That's awesome. Yeah, no, that is. And I think to your point, also some of those seniors probably don't have family. They don't have their own village. Their kids may not be there, you know, so they have a caretaker that, you know, now they have to be schlepped around and do all the things. So. That's amazing um, at this point in your life to recognize that and say, you know, if, because truthfully, it's true. It's like, you know, we spend how many hours a day from our families, from our things to do work. And at least you wanted to make it be impactful, to make it be meaningful and something that I, that you're proud to say that you're doing. And at the same time, if you could put food on your table, it's a win, yes. right? <laughs> you know, it's a win. I got hungry boys. <laughs> 
Yes. Oh, Lord. Yes. My son, again, five. And he's like, can I have a sack? Can I have another sack? Which I know is like a thing, but I'm like, dude, you just had like rice and beans and all the things. My husband's like, yeah, just wait, just wait. As we wind up, uh, wind down here, because you, you mentioned a lot about time. How do you find time for yourself in the sense of how do you release? How do you reset? How do you recharge to make sure that Adam is at his best for yourself and for the organizations that you are a part of and for your children. Yeah. So uh, one of my most favorite things to do to disconnect and unwind uh, is play golf. So uh, now it is not a short experience. Uh, So between driving out there, playing all 18, driving back, you know, it's five, six hours minimum. Um, But I was blessed to do it yesterday um, because I had one last day left, you know, before reality came back. Uh, today. <laughs> uh-huh. um, but, uh, but so yeah, that's really the the biggest gift is being able to get, you know, get on the golf course, because there I do genuinely totally disconnect. I stick my phone in the cart upside down. Um, I don't look at it. I don't think about when well, I look a little just to make sure that the kids didn't call or text. The kids, me. of Aside course, yeah. Um, but I, I'm outdoors and the, you know, beautiful sun. I only play with people that I really want to be with. I'll never go and just like say, I want to play and have them pair me with somebody. It's not what it's like for me. For me, it's a, it's a whole experience. It's the sun, it's making my game a little better and it's spending time with somebody I really do want to, you know, spend time with. So, um, so that's the biggest one when I don't have, you know, the, that amount of hours, obviously, um, I live in a neighborhood that is not, uh, not too big, but not too small. So basically I'll go outside, it could be in the middle of the day and take a break from work or whatever the case may be, and just walk my whole neighborhood, um, put some headphones on and just get fresh air. I, I love the outdoors. I go on my pool. I just, that's where I can't unwind and disconnect inside the house. Um, I gotta be outdoors. I agree. Same thing. It's so funny you mentioned golf because my husband had been playing golf with, um, a friend of his his cousin and I don't know how long he was gone so when he came home I was like where the heck were you because he had never really played golf before yeah, yeah, yeah. and he was like golf and I was like you know scratching my head I'm like but from that early he's like what do you think yeah and then I had to sit back I'm like oh now I get it why a lot of husbands or men would be like oh I know my wife doesn't like it because as you just said it could be six seven almost a whole day yeah, yeah. that you're gone playing golf but i could imagine um and my husband enjoyed it you know of like yeah you're you're focusing on your game like you you don't have all these other it's almost like a meditation like a meditative experience because you're focused on this little ball getting to it um so that's awesome though that you can find that time yeah. um and that you've put things in your cup to kind of really uplift you right i would imagine you know that the things that you're doing the passion projects that you have also kind of allowed for that um so that's great so i'll i'll end it here with two things one if people can connect with you if you'd like people to connect with you please share and two what are your final thoughts to um, the podcast community yeah so uh yeah i'd welcome anybody to uh to reach out and talk about any kind of anything i am not not shy and not afraid to uh, to chat with anybody so um no matter what it is uh 
because if any of your listeners have projects that they're working on, whether it's some sort of uh, parent related something or helping people with something, whatever, I, sure. you know, there's 24 hours in the day and I've only got 23 books so far. I got another hour or two, I can squeeze in something. Um, so yeah, that would be great. And I don't know if, do you, would you post my whatever number yes. email or should I say, yep. okay, so then yeah, anyone can call or email, whatever, it's no issue, no problem at all. Sure. I'd love to. Um, and plus, if they're listening to your podcast, they're people I'd like to connect with anyway, because they obviously are really all about parenting. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm proud of a lot of things, you know, that I've accomplished, whether it's, you know, where I went to school or what I did for a living or whatever, this or that. But my kids are like the, I mean, it's not even close. The, they're the top, top, top. And then everything else is down here. Um, super, super proud of what I've done with them and how they are. And I'd love to, uh, to talk to anybody about, you know, what they're doing and, uh, and bounce ideas and, and share stuff like that That's for awesome. sure. So yeah, I'm, you know, everyone's welcome to do that. Awesome. Um, and as and far final as, thoughts. yeah, final thoughts. Um, I love that a podcast like this exists, I guess, um, because I do think that parenting is kind of one of the most like primitive kind of, I mean, like people have been parents since the beginning of time. And so it should be just natural and it should be easy, but it isn't for some people. Um, and the truth is that there are people that just didn't have uh, good role models. And so they don't know how to do it or they just don't have the tools, whatever the case may be. So to have somebody, you know, do a podcast like this where people can bounce ideas and share things and whatever, I think is tremendous. And, uh, and I'm, I'm happy that you have it. Um, I hope that there are some that are dedicated specifically to fatherhood too. Um, because I think that being a mother and being a father are so, so important and they're different. You know, the core basics are the same for sure. But it's easier to teach a boy how to be a man when you are one. Um, and so dads need to care more about stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, most children are, are blessed that if they have one parent, if they have one parent that cares, more often than not, it's the mom. And I mean, if you carry a child, you just, you automatically might have a little more um, like, you know, primal kind of like nurturing and whatever with men it's different um but i do sure. think that dads really really uh need to to put more work into um you know being a good dad and teaching their uh, their kids right I love that. Thank you so much Adam for coming on for being so honest for being so transparent. Um it's definitely evidence that you know being a father is so important to you. So thank you for coming on sharing that story sure. and being willing to talk to anyone who would want to talk about parenting. Um uh because I think it's, it is important. It's why I do the podcast. It's why I take the time to do that. And this is my space to give back. So thank you. Yeah, thank um, you. Cheers to 2023 and yeah. continued blessings to you for love and light. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this impactful episode of the Motherhood Village podcast. Subscribe to my show so you'll never miss a future episode. You may also rate and review on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with someone that can use it as part of their Motherhood Village. Remember, your village can take up many forms and you do not have to do it alone. Connect with me at themotherhoodvillage.com. Blessings to you for love and light.